Good morning. Good to see you here. Um, it wasn't that a great song? Let's give the team another hand. Yeah, great job on that. And uh, thrilled to have you here. Thanks so much for making River Glen part of your Sunday as we continue this series called uh, The Road. We've been talking here from uh, Waukesha and also from Jerusalem as we follow Jesus the last week of his life to the cross. And uh, this series is important for us because all of us are on a road. All of us are traveling towards something we want to get out of life. And you know what? It's pretty much the same thing for, for uh, many of us. You know, you want a good life. I want a good life. You want a good marriage. I want to have a good marriage. After your kids grow up and leave, you want them to still like you and love you enough to come home and, and visit. That's what we all want and, and hope for. And, you know, one day when you, when you die, uh, you, you want to get to go to heaven. And that's the destination that all of us want to reach. But the problem is that for so many of us, we get so sidetracked along the way that we spend more time, we feel like we spend more time in the ditch than on the road. And we stop making progress toward our our destination. We get sidetracked by people's bad advice. We get sidetracked by bad decisions that we make. We get sidetracked by other people's bad decisions on our lives. We get sidetracked by loneliness and dread and all these other kinds of things. But what's interesting is that many of the things that sidetrack us, Jesus encountered the last week of his life in a more intensified way as he marches toward the cross. And so in this series, we're going to follow him down the road and we're going to learn how to reach our full destination. Last week, we talked about the issue of crowds. And how the applause of crowds can cause us to make bad decisions. And we learned how Jesus lived for an audience of one. He lived to please his heavenly father. And on this journey, we're also going to watch Jesus experience betrayal. We're going to watch him experience loneliness and dread. And we're going we're to talk about these things in the next few weeks. And it's all going to move us toward... Easter as we follow Jesus, not just to the grave, but through the grave. And uh, that's where we're going. You don't want to miss one weekend. Now, as we talk about the road, I think many of us can think about a time where we've been on an actual road and we've had some kind of breakdown, something went wrong, we took a wrong uh, direction. And so I want to tell you a little story about a time my car let me down on the uh, road. This is about eight years ago, my car heater went out on me. So I took it to a mechanic. He looked at it. He said $600 to fix it, but it was an old car. So I didn't, I didn't want to spend that much money on it. And I thought, you know what? I could just bundle up, put on an extra layer of clothes. I'm the only person that drives this car and uh, I'll, I'll be fine. But it turned into a very cold, a very bitterly cold uh, winter. And I really missed that heater. I mean, I just froze in my car. We got a picture here of what it looked like. I mean, it was a bad winter. It was really cold in there. And so one day I went online, and I'm, I'm, I'm desperate, and I found a solution. I found a portable car heater, yeah, for just 40 bucks online. Yeah, it's real, you just plug it in your cigarette lighter, you put it on your dashboard, and it warms your car up. And I thought, I didn't even know this existed. I thought, wow, this is $40. That's a lot better than, than $600. So I ordered it. A few days later, you know, it arrives in the mail. I unpack it, plug it in, put it on my uh, counter. And even though it's small, I mean, it really blasted out the heat. But you know what? I don't recommend it because look at what happened here. I mean, it's really, it was too powerful. Yeah, way too hot. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Actually, I did buy the portable car heater, uh, except it didn't do anything, okay? It didn't didn't warm my car up one degree. So I don't recommend it, okay? Save your $40. Don't waste it like I did. But I remember that experience because my car let me down. And I mean, it was a long and cold 
winter. Now, here's something true about every single one of us. Every one of us has a story of something that let you down. Someone or something, okay, let you down and left you stranded on the side of, of, of the road. You put your trust in something or, or someone, and I think all of us here have lived long enough to know what it feels like to have somebody betray you, somebody that you trusted let you down. I, I know this has happened to you, and I know that it's happened to me. I think about times in my life when I got to know someone, someone that I helped, somebody that I assisted, somebody that I poured into only to have them turn on me and break my trust and walk away from the church. And that may not sound like a big deal to you, but it stung and hurt and it felt like betrayal. And I know in your life, you probably had far worse things happen, you know, not in a setting, you know, like this. Maybe it was your spouse, and you poured into your marriage, and one day your spouse decides, you know what, I'm not in it for the long haul. I'm not going to try, or I've found somebody else, and it hurt, and you felt betrayed. For some of you, the issue happened at work. You had a coworker that took your idea and got the promotion, and you ended up getting fired. You felt betrayed, and it still hurts. For some of you, it happened at, at home. Maybe when you think back to your childhood, all you can think about are bad memories. Maybe your parents didn't do for you what they were supposed to do. Or maybe there was favoritism toward another sibling, and you felt out in the cold, and it, it felt like betrayal, and it still hurts. For some of you, maybe it was a friend who didn't live up to what they said they would do. Maybe it was a relative that took advantage of you. Whatever it was, all of us here, we know what it feels like to have someone betray you. And the problem is that when we experience betrayal, it derails us from the road that we're traveling on, and it causes our defenses to kick in. You know what I mean? For some of us here, our defense is, you know, I'll get back at them. I'll get even. For others of us, our defense might be, it's me. I'm not worthy of being loyal to. For some of us, our defense is, that's it. I'm never trusting anybody else ever again. You know, maybe some of you had a bad experience at a church, and maybe you gave up on church because you felt betrayed, and you decided, you know, that's it. I'm done I'm done with church, and just you coming here today um, is a big step of faith. You stayed away for a long time, and I'm just so glad that you're here. For others of us, for some of us, maybe we gave up on God. We prayed a prayer. We asked God to do something, and he didn't come through for us the way that we wanted, and now, you know, we're done. And that tends to lead us into the ditch in our life rather than the destination that we want to reach. And so how do you stay on the road? Well, today we're going to talk about probably the most famous story of betrayal in all of history. And it happened to Jesus, and it happened in Jerusalem. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 26. You can also use a Bible in the chair back in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you can keep that one. It's our gift to you. Or you can just follow along. We'll put the scriptures up on the screen. Let me give you some background of what's happening here. Jesus is 33 years old. He spent the last three years walking around uh, Israel uh, putting together his band of brothers, these 12 guys, his disciples that he taught and mentored. And these guys, they've done everything together. They've traveled the countryside teaching people about God. And now Jesus enters Jerusalem the last week of his life. But they don't, these guys don't understand it yet. They don't completely get it. And, and now they've entered Jerusalem for probably the third time in their time together to celebrate the Passover, the Passover feast. And this event, because these guys are all Jewish, 
It's a huge part, part of their, their, their heritage. But this time, they don't just go as co-workers. They go as friends. They go as brothers. And they're excited to share this meal together. But in the midst of this moment, the betrayal happens. Let's take a look at Matthew as Matthew begins telling us what's going to happen. He says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, uh, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you'll see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come, and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples in your house. And so the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal uh, there. And so as these guys approach Jerusalem, it's Thursday, in the last week of Jesus' life, they begin to make preparations for where they're going to share the Passover meal together. And to better understand it, let's go over to Jerusalem and see where it happens. We're here in Jerusalem, just outside what is traditionally known as the Upper Room, where Jesus would have the Last Supper with his disciples. It's Thursday evening in the final week of Jesus' life. Last week I mentioned that about a third of the information in the Bible about the life of Jesus happens in the last week of his life. And really three significant moments happen here on Thursday night in the Upper Room. One is that the disciples celebrate the Passover meal with Jesus in the Upper Room. We believe this is the third time they share this meal together. This meal was really important on the Jewish calendar. It was one of the seven festivals of Israel mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23. It's a commemoration of God freeing his people from slavery in Egypt. God asked his people to keep this meal and this festival to remember that he brought them out of slavery. And so all the food in the Passover meal is associated with the story of God freeing his people. And Jewish people celebrate Passover to this day. During this meal, there are a lot of different components to it. They eat bitter herbs to remember the bitterness of slavery. There's special bread they eat, the matzah that's baked without leaven. Four times during this meal, they would drink a cup of wine. Each of those four wine cups has a different name. Main meal back in the ancient time would have been lamb. But during this Passover meal on Thursday night, Jesus picks up the bread and talks about a new meal that we share as a church each weekend. I want to read this passage where he talks about this. Matthew 26, 26 says, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. Now, they normally ate bread during the Passover. But when Jesus takes the bread and says, This is my body, I don't really know how much the disciples understood it. They're probably scratching their head. What does Jesus mean? This is my body? After this, Jesus follows it up with a cup of wine. And he says this in the text. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of men. Again, we're not sure the disciples at this Passover understood the meaning, the new meaning that Jesus gives the bread and the wine. We're not sure if they understood that Jesus is the lamb and his death, burial, and resurrection would follow. But what Jesus does here is... Open, he opens this meal, this, this, this Passover meal that we now call communion. He opens it to everyone. It's not just for Jewish people, Passover, but for all of us today. We can come to that table and know that we've been welcomed to participate and take the symbols of his body and blood. Two more significant moments happen in addition to the Passover in the upper room. One is there's no servant to wash the feet. They wore sandals and walked on dirt roads where a lot of, anim- where a lot of animals walked. And foot washing was very important, but nobody helps out. 
And so Jesus gets up to do that, which is unheard of for a teacher like Jesus. It's just culturally inappropriate for Jesus to take that upon himself. But it's a very clear signal of his intent to be humble and have none of that take away from the fact that God was at work in him as a Savior. One more, a third significant moment about that night. One of the disciples that was at the table is Judas. Jesus knew that he was going to be the betrayer and still washed his feet. He still served in the bread and the cup. Judas was an opportunist. Judas saw the Messiah, he saw in Jesus the potential Messiah, and so Judas followed him. He saw the possibility of sitting next to him on his throne. But when Judas realized that Jesus is probably going to get his teeth kicked in and probably killed, his heart turned. He saw an opportunity to betray him. And I don't think any of that caught Jesus by surprise. Jesus knew exactly who Judas was and what his heart was all about. The amazing thing is that while Jesus sits at the table with him, feeding him, giving him parts of the meal, sharing in the fellowship, that whole time Jesus knew he would be betrayed. It's such an astounding example, such a clear picture of God's grace that he doesn't hold the, the, the sinful world away from him, but in his mercy he welcomes us to his table, looking for those who will know that salvation. That room is so interesting because so many key events happen there. This is where Jesus shares the Last Supper with his disciples. This is where Jesus washes their feet. And this is where the disciples hid after the crucifixion because they feared that they might be next. And this is where they gather together and wait for the Holy Spirit to come several weeks later. But in this moment, something even more significant happens on Thursday night that they never will forget because it's the moment that Jesus is betrayed and nobody saw this coming. No one thought it could ever happen because they were so close to each other, but Jesus tells them about it during their meal. Look at what Matthew tells us here. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the 12 disciples while they were eating. He said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Imagine how shocking that moment must have been. I mean, this was not your typical icebreaker, you know, before dinner. You know, these guys all feel, feel stunned because they were so close to each other. They'd spent three years traveling around Israel with Jesus, watching him perform miracles, and, and they had inside jokes with each other. They had great moments together. They had low moments together. There's times I'm sure they would sit together and reminisce about memories. Maybe one of them would say, remember that time there was that dead, that dead little girl and Jesus raised her back to life? Nobody thought it could happen. I was amazed. Somebody else would say, hey, Andrew, remember that time you brought that lunch, sack lunch to Jesus and he multiplied it and fed 5,000 people? Somebody else says, remember that time we're in the boat together and it started storming and Jesus goes out there and walks on the, on the water. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you thought you saw a ghost. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, you were so scared you cried for your mama. And joking and, and just all these memories that they had with each other. They were just so close, close as brothers. And now Jesus says, one of you, one of my band of brothers is going to betray me. And they probably thought he's kidding. But one of them knows he's not kidding, and that's Judas. Later on, when Matthew writes, writes it out and puts it all in chronological order, he lets us know Judas decided this on his own before the meal. Look at what he says here. How much will you pay me to betray Jesus? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. You know, Judas knows, and Jesus knows, and now Judas knows 
that Jesus knows, but none of the other guys know who it is. And I love how John tells us about what happens in, in his account. Look at what it says here in his gospel. His disciples stared at one another at a loss uh, to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and that's John, that's how John would refer to himself, he wouldn't put his name in there. The disciple whom Jesus loved was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Isn't that interesting? Peter motioned to him. They're so close that all Peter needs to do is go. And John knows, Peter wants me to ask Jesus which one it is. And it wasn't just Peter, all of them want to know who it is. Look at what Matthew tells us they begin to do, greatly distressed. Each one asked in turn, am I the one, Lord? I mean, think about that. Despite all these experiences that they shared uh, together, each one of them wonders, am I the one you're talking about? Am I the one that's going to do this? Let's take a look at the room here. This is a a, a traditional picture of the uh, last... Uh, the traditional picture of the Last Supper. We'll go around the, the table here in just a moment. Now, I doubt it actually looked like this. This was da Vinci's interpretation of it. But isn't it nice how they all got on one side of the table, you know, for their meal and, and for their picture together? This is the original selfie, in his first one in history, um, uh, right uh, here. Anyway, you got all these guys lined up together, right? And according to da Vinci, he's identified... Uh, the names of uh, each one of them. He's figured out who they are. So let's just take a second here and kind of go around the table. Let's start with Peter here. Peter left his, his fishing business to follow Jesus. Peter walked on the water briefly with Jesus. Peter's the first one to call Jesus the Messiah before anybody else. And yet Peter, in this moment, he's wondering, am I the one? And then next to Peter, you got his brother, Andrew. Andrew's the one that brought Peter to Jesus. And Andrew's also the one that brought that sack lunch to Jesus when he multiplied it to feed 5,000. And Peter's asking, or excuse me, Andrew's asking, is it me? And then on the end here, you've got Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel. And when he first hears about Jesus from Nazareth, he said, from Nazareth, can anything good come out of, out of Nazareth? But he, but he goes and he checks out Jesus. And when Jesus sees him approaching, Jesus says, here is a man of integrity. And Nathaniel becomes a follower of Jesus. He calls Jesus the Messiah, but here he's asking this question, is it me? Am I the betrayer? And then over on the other side, you've got, you've got Thomas. Thomas was very brave. There was a time when all the other disciples were too scared to go to Judea because the last time they were there, they were almost killed. But there's this moment where Thomas says, let's go. It's kind of this brave heart moment. He says, let's go to Judea with Jesus. But now Thomas uh, wonders, you know, is it, is it me? And then next to him, you've got James. And James has got a couple marks against him. He's known for having a bad temper. And then James is also the one, maybe, maybe you've heard this story, where his mom came in one time and asked Jesus, would you make my son the greatest in your kingdom? And that had to be embarrassing for James to have his mom come in and say that. But now James is part of, notice he's part of the inner circle He's part of the inner three that are closest to Jesus. But even though he's close to Jesus, James asks, is it me? And then next to him, you've got Philip. Philip's the one who brought Nathaniel to Jesus. And Philip wants to know, am I the one? And then you've got Matthew uh, over on that side. And Matthew left his career as a, as a corrupt uh, tax collector to follow Jesus. But before he, he left, he throws a party for all of his irreligious friends to meet Jesus. And now Matthew wonders, is Jesus talking about 
uh, talking about uh, me. And then you've got John here, who's probably Jesus' best friend. He's one of those inner three. He's probably the one closest to Jesus. Even John wonders, am I the one? And then finally, is the, there's the real one. And Judas just kind of plays along because everybody else is asking. And even Judas asks, is it me? Look at how Matthew records this. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, yes, it is you. Can you imagine how difficult and painful that moment was for Jesus? Because betrayal hurts so much worse than rejection. Rejection is kind of like opening the wound and betrayal's pouring salt in it because it is so much more intense. And what's amazing about you know, this meal is, is that Jesus knows Judas will betray him. Jesus knows it, that Judas is gonna betray him, and yet look at how Jesus responded. He doesn't hide it, he deals with it, but he served him. I want you to see the very next verse here. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. Look at this. And he gave it to his disciples. And that included Judas, saying, take and eat. This is my body. And so what we see from Jesus here is how to respond to betrayal in a way that doesn't wreck your life as well. See, Jesus doesn't hide it. He doesn't uh, conceal it. He deals with it. He confronts it. But he still washes the feet of Judas. He serves him the bread. He serves him the cup, just like everybody else at the table. And in that moment, Jesus teaches us how to deal with betrayal in a way that doesn't wreck your life or my life. And here it is. Anytime when someone does something to you that you don't deserve, do something for them that they don't deserve. And that's why Jesus chooses to wash his feet. And and that's why Jesus chooses to serve him the meal. And he tells us to follow his example. And and maybe for you, that means you just start praying for this other person. And and I know maybe at first your prayers are with clenched fists and clenched teeth, sometimes saying, God, strike them dead. But begin there. Okay, I doubt God will do that. Begin there. And through your prayers, God will begin to soften your heart. Maybe for you, that means you just begin to speak kindly about them instead of every time their name comes up, you say, hey, have I got a story about them? And you know what? I've actually got proof. I got pictures. Come on in, everybody. Take a look here on my my phone. No. Instead, you decide to speak kindly about them. Maybe for you, it means that you are so bold as to actually choose to serve them in some capacity where you actually do something for them like, like, like Jesus uh, did. Maybe you have a conversation. Maybe you go and have a conversation with them and you say something like, you know what? You may not even know that you did this, but I forgive you just as Jesus modeled. Now, as much as we want to say, I'm not doing that, you have no idea what they did to me. You know what the truth is? We want to point a finger at Judas, but the truth is, There is also a betrayer that lurks inside all of us. You know, as good of people as we might think we are because, you know, we're we're good Americans and, and and we go to church, guess what? There's a betrayer that lurks inside every one of us. I know for me, even though, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, raised in church, went away to a Christian college, Uh, There have been moments when I have rebelled and run away and raised a fist toward heaven. And when I talk to Jesus and say, am I the one, Lord? He always says, yes, you are. Because there is a betrayer that lurks inside of you 
as well. All of us have something in us that wants to run away from Jesus and rebel and overlook what he's, what he's done and choose to, to do life our own way. But despite the fact that we have done something to him that he doesn't deserve, he continues to offer to us what we don't deserve. And that's grace. And every one of us has somebody in our life and we keep a list of what that person has done wrong and how we want to make it right by getting even. But what if instead of coming up with a way that you can make it right, what if you choose to do something for them like Jesus has done for us? You know what? Not only will it keep you on the road headed toward the destination, the full destination you want to reach, it's also going to help you to see how much Christ has done for you. And just as much as everybody else is welcomed to the table, so was the betrayer. So am I. And so are you. What we're going to do here in, in, in just a moment is uh, we're going to take our place at the table. And we're going to share communion together. I want to ask the uh, ushers if they go ahead and, and make their way and get the communion trays and our, our team is going to come out and lead a song in just a moment. Communion is an opportunity for each of us to pull up a chair to this table because Jesus said do this whenever you gather together to remember me and for 2,000 years now the church has practiced communion where we eat a little piece of bread that represents Christ's body and we drink a cup of juice that represents Christ's blood to remember that moment where Jesus taught how this was given for all of us so during this song is the uh, Servers come down and pass the trays. If this is new to you, you can take a pass on it. But for all of us who have decided to follow Jesus, this is your chance once again to not just pull up a chair to this table and not just share this meal together, but to remember that when we ask, am I the one? Am I the betrayer? Jesus says, yes, you are, but you are still welcome at this table. God's grace is so amazing that he allows us to experience this and share this together. Would you take the double cup as the tray comes down your row and would you hold it, hold the cups and then after this song, I'll come back up and I'll lead us and uh, we'll share this meal together as a church family.